0: Thank you, Greg. Well, this morning we're going to be back in Acts chapter 18. We have some different faces this morning and others that weren't able to be here last time. So I'm going to do some review. We'll catch up. Any questions, any correspondence is very welcome in this class, of course. So in Acts chapter 18, we're going to picture. Um, we're going to we're going to picture in our minds where Paul is right now. I gave you a map. And if you have that 67th book in your Bible, which is the math and the concordance section in the back, you can easily find the second missionary journey of Paul. And I think it's important to look at this, especially for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's pick up with Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 23. Scripture always prevails, so we're going to read first, and we're going to go in. and uh, Please, let's just uh, talk. We're going to be teaching each other this morning. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaiae, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it. For I will, be no such, such, I will be no judge of such matters. And he draved them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Cantrea, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent... Some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So we're looking here, we've been talking about Gallio. we've been talking about Seneca the last few weeks. We've been looking at some of the names that are involved here. And if you look on your map, you go all the way back. If you don't have a map, you can actually go into the back of your Bible, and you're, I'm sure you'll have the Paul's second missionary journey. And here, at least you don't have one. You, you have one? Okay. So I have one more left, because I can use my map in the back of the Bible. If you, does anybody need one? You guys need a map? Here you go. I mean, we're not going to be doing a geographical lesson a whole lot this morning. But what's important here is we just read about the location where Paul is regarding. He's in Corinth, and then he's going to be going, it says here, to Syria. But if you look at the map... I think what we're looking at here and what's important is what Paul is saying, ultimately he would be in the big vast region of Syria, but on the way you can see as he leaves, if you go back to the map and you see where he was at Thessalonica, we were talking about Berea, we talked about the Bereans when they were asking a lot about scripture and all, and Paul did a great job there with them. And then he went to Athens. Paul was at Mars Hill. You see, if you follow your little line down, you can see right there at the southern tip there near Caï where Gallio is the proconsul and the governor. You see Athens, then you see Corinth, you see Etruria. We just read about that. Paul would have had to have stopped at Ephesus first before he got to Syria on his way to Jerusalem. So when you see the map, you kind of get an idea. Actually, that. That journey from Achaia in Corinth all the way to Caesarea would be approximately about a 900 mile, of um, that would be a, a journey in a boat, and it would have been an incredible journey there. So it kind of gives you an idea on the type of situation Paul was in. So the question this morning is, I want to open up with this. First of all, let's go back real quick and I'll ask the question we see here that Galio was the deputy of Achaia, Paul was back in Corinth, and all of a sudden he went in, the Jews were having a problem, and they grabbed him, and they brought him before Galio. He was a Roman proconsul and he had great power, and the Jews now wanted to bring Paul into the judgment seat. So the last time, two weeks ago, we spoke about this, Paul's brought into the judgment seat, Gallio says, no, I'm not dealing with this, you're on your own, you deal with your own law. Paul is going to do what he's going to do, and I'm not going to execute, I'm not going to bring Paul to the judgment seat. With Paul going from Thessalonica, Berea, he goes into Corinth, and look at all the hardships he's faced. Why do you think he, why do you think he jumped around so much? I think it's a simple question. If you go over what we've been studying the last several weeks, why, why, why was it that he was moving so much? Anybody? Have any ideas? Pastor. He's spreading out the gospel over. Amen. And, uh, and we need to move around some too. And Amen. Too. And, you know, uh, some
1: pastors like to brag about that they were in the same church for 40 years, you know. And that's all right. And, uh, but, you know, uh, that's not what Paul did. It's, uh, he he to spread things around. Right. Right? time we think the officials being And how it is in defending
0: Paul the against the Amen. How do we know that the Lord was okay with this? How do we know that the Lord encouraged us and that there's no doubt that this was okay for Paul to do this and that, and that he was actually somehow, some way he knew that it was the right thing to do? Anybody know Beverly? So, Amen. Matthew twenty eight, the end of Matthew twenty eight, the, the Great Commission. The Amen. Good job. Good answer. How about if we go back and back up a little bit in Acts chapter 18 and read verses 9 and 10? Like there saw so Jacob, could you read that? Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10. Now remember, this is not the be- the beginning of Paul's journey. He's in the middle of it. This is the second journey and he's right in the middle of it. So what what happens? This is we talked about this, but what is so important about this? Go ahead Jacob if you have that. Thank you. Back up, can you read chap verse 9 and then 10 again? I'm sorry. Perfect, thank you. You see in your Bibles, that should be in red letters, some of your Bibles. Well, not all of them are, but mine is. We see that this proves that without a shadow of a doubt, the very Jesus Christ that Paul is talking about, who is supposed to be dead and gone to many, some actually lying and saying that his bones were taken out and they were like they were rehid and that Jesus was no more. This proves of an absolute without a shadow of a doubt of a resurrection. And here Jesus, here he is, Christ himself. We, we, we Jesus here on his earth is his his earthly name, but his ineffable name is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking specifically to Paul. And what had our Lord Jesus Christ said before he, when he was ascending into heaven? I must needs go to be on the right hand of the Father that I might send the Holy Spirit so that he will comfort you and he will guide and direct you. So basically, Paul is operating off the GPS of the Holy Spirit. And there he is. He's, He's in Corinth. And he's come from Berea, from Thessalonica, he's gone into Corinth, and look at what he's facing. Does anybody remember, how long was Paul in Corinth? It's very specific. Anybody remember? A year and a half. Amen. 18 months. He was there 18 months. And I think another question can arise from what we've been studying, what we've been learning for a little bit of review. Why do you think he stayed there so long? for 18 months. Why do you think that he was he was anchored there and he was he was very concerned. Anybody? <laughs> that's true. When the Lord told him nothing would happen, he did he got a good break. That's a that's a good answer. Yes. The churches that he was planting. Look how incredible that is. Look at all the churches that he planted. And you know, I'd like to think of, I heard a little message, about 10 minutes of a good good little message this morning. I didn't have much time to listen to it. But it was enough to hear about why was Moses in his heart pulled and he was really upset about the fact that he was getting ready to leave the earth. The Lord had told him he was about to die. What do you think was the number one thing he was upset about? Anybody? Does anybody remember the story? Lisa? Yes, you would think he would be saying, oh, I don't, what, you know, what's, I don't know what death's going to be like. And, it, and then maybe the death part's not so hard, but it's the dying part. Am I going to be sick? Am I going to be having, being on my deathbed for weeks at a time? Am I going to need help? Am I going to need all kind of hospice care? All this kind of stuff. You know, you know what I'm saying. He was worried about who was going to carry and pull the baton and lead the Israelites. That is the heart of a shepherd. What a heart of a pastor who was in his heart. That was his number one concern. I think that's what Paul here was concerned about. Two things, that there was leadership back in Corinth. Check on the churches. Remember some of the names. What were some of the names of the churches that he visited? Is anybody? there? right there. Some of the names of the men. There were two in particular. Rulers in the synagogue. Remember Crispus? He's one of them. We have Sosthenes. We had Justice. Justice. Here he has a little house or a little place that's actually attached to the synagogue. And there you could go in to worship the synagogue. Why does he have this little place of worship? He wanted to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ was pronounced, that it was absolutely to the T, kept. And there Paul was, after leaving the synagogue, he goes in. So we see here there's Gallio. Now, Gallio, Paul, when he's in Corinth, he's getting ready to leave. He had been there for 18 months. Here, Gallio is the deputy of Achaia. Now, what happens is, as Paul is there, as, we, as, as we've seen, but I want to go into it a little more detail, because we we're kind of like rushed at the end of the class. Paul is preaching the gospel. The Jews are convicting Paul of not keeping the law. They're saying basically, you have been violating the law. Paul is about to step up and defend himself, and all of a sudden, Gallio just shuts him up and he says, Well, I'm not going to hear this. Gallio, he had some serious power. He is the deputy of Achaia. The Jews now wanted to bring Paul into the judgment seat of the proconsul. This could mean they wanted to charge Paul with insurrection, which means if they wanted to charge him with insurrection, this wasn't just a citation or some kind of minor charge. They wanted him dead. And Gallio knew that. And as Pastor just said, and I think it's very important to remember at this point, the Roman Empire, we're seeing a two year period where the Christian church was at its strongest coming through this region. And right now, the Roman Empire, actually, the Lord said Paul would be protected, and he, usually, he actually gets protection from a proconsul, from a Roman proconsul. I find that fascinating. Where all he had to do was say off with his head, and it would have taken two seconds, and Paul would have been done we see that this sect of Pharisaical Jews, they were very bloodthirsty. Gallio was the elder brother of the philosopher and the, trage- the, the tragedian, Lucius Annius Seneca. Seneca was also, he played a very major role in Rome with philosophy. He was a statesman, he was an orator. And I don't want to get into that too much, but what was incredible about this is that at the time this is all happening, it was actually Seneca and Gallio, they both knew Nero, and Nero was under the tutelage of, Tutor of Seneca. And basically what's happening here is now we see, if you, get into some of your, if you get into some of your commentaries and you read some of the background history, well now we can see the progression of Nero is now getting ready to get in. And he is the worst of the worst. And really, this is a real sign to me, personally, as I'm studying and learning the Bible. It's a sign that there were real problems with Seneca and Gallio, that they would be attached to a man who was so wicked, Nero was so wicked. Seneca was the son of of a wealthy family. His father, Seneca the Elder, had been famous. He was in Rome as a teacher of rhetoric. His mother, Helvia, was of excellent character, they said, and education. And his elder brother was Gallio, who met with St. Paul, as we read here in this one commentary, in a Ki, and we see that it was the Galio is the one that actually defends Paul. Later on, there's a real coup going on in the empire, and Nero forcibly has, by other word of mouth, Galio and Seneca actually wind up taking their own lives. That's how they end up. So we get a little bit of an idea, and really some of the history here I think is fascinating, personally. You know, you think about that. We've been studying on Wednesday night to get off the beaten path here a little bit. We, we've been studying about Pilate and looking real close at Pilate. And if you read some of the background on Pilate, he was all 100% anti-Semitic. He wanted to destroy the Jews, and many times he did. He was a very wicked, wicked man. And so to see Paul coming through here and having this type of protection is incredible. We see that this episode involving the Apostle Paul, which occurred when Gali was serving as pro- proconsul of Achaia, we see it in about 51, indicates that Roman provincial officials at the time were remaining aloof from the struggle between the Jews and the new Christian religion, and he had become proconsul. But what's very interesting is, what have we just regard, read regarding the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ? He had told, he had said very, very Profoundly, that don't be, don't be, do not be uh, um, confused or be surprised, because if they will persecute me to kill me, they will come after you. That's what he told his people. The Lord said that very profoundly in the Book of Matthew. He said, "Don't be surprised." And Paul, right now, is getting just a little bit, a little bit of a tiny rest here, and he's going to continue to travel. And so the question was, why? Why does he continue to travel? Pastor Olson said he's a missionary. It's something that Christians should do. You know what it took me back there as a, as a reminder of? Joseph never stayed in one place, did he? As, a, as a 17 years old, Joseph, what happened to him? Immediately he's rooted out of his family. He winds up on the slave trade. He winds up in Egypt. First he's in Potiphar's house. Then he becomes a prominent leader in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife lies about him. He winds up going to jail. He winds up being a prominent leader in jail, and then after it's all said and done, the second in command over all, basically, over all the free world there. And look at how the Lord moved and moved and moved him and set him in in forward motion. And we don't read about how Joseph would question and try to fight the Lord. He trusted the Lord all the way through it, and the Lord guided and directed him. I think that's incredible. Well, we see here, our Lord Jesus Christ is the Logos. When he gives his word, there is absolutely no doubt regarding the authenticity of the nature of whether it will ever be carried out or not because you can guarantee it. He told Paul that in no way would he be harmed in this eighteenth month period. And there has never been a forewarning or a prophecy in all of Scripture that the Lord has not kept perfectly. What are the chances of that? <laughs> the chances... I heard a message a long time ago about the chances of having that many prophecies, and that many forewarnings in Scripture being absolutely fulfilled perfectly. And it's like one in one, I don't know how many million, but every single thing the Lord ever said was perfect, and that's why we can guarantee it. And that's why we need to read our Bibles. As we talked about Wednesday night, read our Bibles because the Bibles read you. The Bible, Christ knows you, and His Word knows you, and we need to read our Bibles. And he guaranteed Paul that nothing would happen and nothing happened. Remember the Lord had said, Peace be still and the waters completely calmed down when he was in the Sea of Galilee sleeping in the hinder part of the ship. And he gets up and everything was fine. And this is incredible how the Lord even uses the Roman proconsul to protect Paul. So we see now that the Jewish council... In Corinth, they are ringleaders of all the mischief against Paul. And it's amazing how they accuse Paul of, of persuading men to worship contrary to the law. It's what they did not accuse Paul of that really exposes how they were trying to interpret and rewrite Scripture. First of all, they did this with violence and a very furious heart. And we saw this many times, how they did it with vengeance and violence. Pastor? Amen. And I was that was important. We had
1: many people there. And there were people that they were God was working on their hearts. And they were the elect. And they needed to get the gospel to get saved. Not what we do when we go out with our tracks door to door. We're trying
0: to get some tracks in the hands of people that God is working on. Amen. Like people, you know, clients, got on Amen. We can, we can pretty much surmise and use these very verses that not only is he speaking to Paul, he's speaking to us, isn't he? I believe that he is. I mean, look at us here. We were all somewhere else at one point. Sometimes we, we were other, maybe at other churches, maybe at some point we were not Christians. And look how the Lord has brought us together, a little, little band of people here, which is actually larger than most Sunday schools I've seen. This is for me is my mega church, from what I grew up with, five people in a living room for many years. So I mean, look how the Lord brings us together. We can see that right here, and how the Lord is, is doing a work. There are others. There's, there's some that have been here for many years. Some that have gone on to do other works. The Lord, He just the Lord never stops. He never sleeps. He told Paul he would not get hurt. He did not. We see the Jewish council. They come up against Paul. Their pejorative attitude against the Scripture exposes them, and they fall by their own weight. If you're a Christian and you're reading this and you know the Bible somewhat, you can see what the Pharisees were doing, what the Sanhedrin, what the council does, and we can see this is done by a furious heart, by vengeance, and they're bloodthirsty. Here's what they did not accuse him of. They could not charge Paul with persuading men not to worship God at all or to worship, or they could not accuse Paul that he was worshiping other gods. He was worshiping the God that they claimed was the same God that Paul believed in. They did not, the thing is, is they separated our Lord Jesus Christ from God and they're going back to the Old Testament and they didn't want anything to do with the Messiah. And they were furious at that they were very careful at what they said regarding Jesus Christ but, but make no doubt that if they that if they hated Christ they were these were non-messianic Jews and they hated Christ and a non-messianic Jew is a true unrepentant non-believer Deuteronomy 13:1 through 3 says if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. And the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we see here the Jews are away from their home synagogue in Jerusalem and are acting according to their own devices in Corinth at another synagogue. Paul in no way is teaching them to act against their law at all. Here he is merely making a very important application that should have been perfectly woven into their teaching, and this is what they missed. Can somebody look up Deuteronomy chapter 18.15 and read that? Deuteronomy 18.15. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Didn't we read in Scriptures in the New Testament that Christ said specifically, Moses spoke of me. They hated that. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. They hated that, but it was there. So basically what they're doing is they're accusing Paul of insurrection. Why? What's an insurrectionist? Anyone? Anyone? Anybody? A revolutionary. Yes. A revolutionary, perhaps a traitor, perhaps someone that rises up against their own countrymen. They're trying to turn Paul and where, where where Lisa, go ahead, I'm sorry.: Right. I'm right. Where does this sound familiar? Very familiar? Not too long ago? <laughs> that's a good one, Charlie. That's, that's true. The election fraud. They couldn't come up with anything to accuse Jesus. So what did they do? They give a generalized, absolute generalized kangaroo court against Christ himself. And what do they do? They couldn't come up with any witnesses, any claims against him physically, so they called him an insurrectionist. We see that in John chapter twenty, or no, John chapter 19, where they said, he should be put to death because he's an insurrectionist. And so this is, they're trying to just say, basically, this is a man that has risen up against his own people, against his own country, he's a traitor. We should there was absolutely no evidence of that. And there's no evidence of that here. But this is what they're trying to accuse Paul of. So what happens here is Paul is teaching how profound it is and it's an undeniable truth that this prophet Jesus Christ is the very one who will come to fulfill the law. It's our Lord, our savior, he is the one, the perfect keeper of the law and the one who did not come to destroy the law but to honor and obey it. And then, so in every count there is absolutely can be no charge against Paul for violating the law. They're lying. A lot of liars. What Paul is teaching is where the law came from and where the true Messiah is in the midst of the law and upheld it and he loved it. This was an imperative for the Jews to know this and this is what Paul's mission was. Here Galileo steps up and basically says, this is not my jurisdiction, this is not a case of theft or murder or violence, but but that these are, of, these are a question of words and names and this does not prove to me at all, Gallio says, that I should have to take care of this. And we see that the Lord said no harm would come upon him. Gallio abruptly interrupts, and then another name pops up. We'll move on forward from there. And I think that it's fascinating. This is where we left off before. We were talking about some things ahead of this and behind this. But Sosthenes comes up. He is a ruler. He is there, and the Jews turn around and violently... We're talking about violent and furious hearts, and that's what, what was on their hearts. They turn right around and they beat Sosthenes. When we read this, we said, why do you think they beat him? Why is it that they were able to pick up the mantle, basically, and they were able to take this man and beat him right in front of the whole, the judgment seat? Turns out Sosthenes, is a Christian... It turns out that he was actually, if you read, I've re, I, was, I read some different commentary and a little background on Sosthenes. If you go into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he actually ministered to Paul. He loved Paul. He loved the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And basically what he was trying to do is he was trying to protect Paul. And so you can see where that was going and where the violence was. And then there they brought Sosthenes and they beat him. So far we have seen justice-held worship services for our Lord in his house adjacent to the synagogue. Then we looked at Crispus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, who loved the Lord. Now I see a man named Sosthenes, where Crispus was a chief ruler of a synagogue, and there is not quite enough information to know exactly who Sosthenes was. But what we do know is that he was another chief ruler of the synagogue where he believed in our Lord Jesus Christ, and he would definitely be called a full Messianic Jew. What this means is from, is from some of the commentaries we, that I've seen, basically, this man, he, he, he belonged to the church of the Christians, he loved the Christians, he ministered to Paul, and the Jews hated this. You know, it's amazing how Solomon, if you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we see this is basically with the Jews. It's anarchy is what it is. Solomon gives an overview of what happens in a state of anarchy and lawlessness when the Lord withdraws His blessings upon a nation, it becomes riotous. Ecclesiastes 3.16 says, And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity, was there. Does that sound familiar to anybody? What did Charlie just brought up 2020? Doesn't that sound very familiar with the way our government is today? where there is iniquity, where there is sin, there is anarchy, there is lawlessness. We've seen it with riots. We've seen it with all these weird things on television. And we see it here. The Jews and the Pharisees and the Jewish council, they thrived off of rioting. And when they would do that, what they would try to do is make such a coup that nobody would come after them, and that's how they would make their point. And that's what they would do. And this is exactly what was going on here with Sosthenes. And no one stopped them. Kind of reminds me of what happened in Portland, Oregon, a few a couple years ago, when all that rioting was out there—the burning churches and all these towns—and all these people are getting killed. They didn't do anything to these people hardly. That's anarchy. Dave. Right. Sospely was there to defend him, yes. Absolutely. Jews didn't like that. It's a good point. You know, I, I think it's uh, probably there's some uh, different
1: ways of looking at that. Mm-hmm.
0: He was against Paul. Okay. That's why we're here. <laughs> well, that's a possibility. Right. I think one of my commentaries came from Matthew Henry, and that pointed Sosthenes from there into 1 Corinthians, and it said he was a brother of Paul. But we don't know. So, but, but as we read before, we really don't have a whole lot of background information, and that's, that's very good. Well... We see that there was no intercessor, there were no fair and balanced courts, and I find this a very interesting interesting uh, set of verses from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, we read, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth far off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from me will maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It sustained him. And I think that's what we need in situations like this. We need leaders to stand up and do what's right. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do. He was being a leader. and He was the one taking the beatings. Make no question about it, the, 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 the followers of Jesus Christ are going to suffer And I believe that we're going to see that happening a lot more in this country if people don't stand up. Do I think it's 100%? No. Do I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think that when a governor steps up and says, shut the doors of your church, we should should do whatever the governor says? No, I don't believe that. The church has always been a safe haven and a very important place for people in times of the worst trouble, but I think we're seeing things in the government that exactly what we just read here, and we need to be very uh, close to the Lord. Perhaps the same judgment will not be dealt out as the physical nature was carried out against our Lord. But we, I think we could see some pretty hard stuff coming. You know, we see Galileo cared for none of those that were, that, that were beaten before his face in the court. He did nothing about Sosthenes, and it seemed like they were at ease in Zion and were not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. And you know what? I think that's a very good statement. That when the new Pharaoh came in, that now there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And I think that's what we see today here in our country. We have a Pharaoh that knows not Joseph. Amos chapter 6, verses 3 to 6, we read, Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. And this is what's been happening to the the Christian church all down through the ages. There is no respect. There is no respect for those that love the Lord. Very little respect. So we see here that Basically, what happens here is Paul is now... I have a couple more notes I'd like to go over first, and then we can we can move forward. That there's been several times where the Lord has allowed the affliction to Joseph to arise to prove a point about his defense of his people. And here we see plainly for now, Gallio just let this man Sosthenes be beaten. This man, he had dignity, he worked hard, and he loved the Lord. He did not deserve this possibly, perhaps... This is the kind of man that he was, and as pastor Olson, maybe, you know, maybe he was not. But the question is, what do we do when justice is not upheld? Remember when Esther was giving her life to defend her people, and Haman had been promoted to a very high rank, and his edict was in one day to kill all the Jews, including the women and children. He was no different back then. We see it now. This is what the Jewish council wanted. In Esther chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we read, The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. The edict was to go out that the Jews would be killed. And they sat down, and that's exactly what they did. They ate dinner, and they sat there and enjoyed themselves when this was about to happen. I think this is very important because this plugs in. Right now, with what Paul's going through, right now, Nero is being trained. And that's exactly what he'll do, is he'll put the Christians in the dinner theaters, and they'll sit there and eat dinner while they're being burned alive. It's exactly what will happen. Pastor. Right? Well, we can just see this past week, that's a great statement. You, de- you have to be questioning, I mean, never questioning the Lord, but we have to sit back and, what is going on in the White House? This past week we hear this man who calls himself the president, I don't call him the president, but he now wants to change the filibuster so they can make abortion completely legal everywhere. He wants, he is going to fight to take away a constitutional foundational principle of Congress, take away the filibuster, so that more babies can be burned alive. That's what it says in the paper. I'm not standing here being some radical. We just, I just read it two days ago. This is supposed to be who is presiding over the affairs of our country, sadly. I think that Pastor Olson hits the nail right on the head there. Well, Paul made it through. 18 months he made it through. And he was brought in. He could have been killed. He could have been beaten again like he had been with Silas. Remember that event. And here it is. And so what happens next? Well, if you look on your maps once again, you see Kentria or Centria. I well, you can pronounce it. I think one of one, two ways. But right there, he is now going down to the eastern seaport of Corinth. And then from the eastern seaport of Corinth, since he's on a boat, he's going to wind up going to Ephesus. Well, there's a seaport there. Where you see the seaports are they were if you read and you study and you look about some of the background history, of Ephesus was one of the great cities in Asia Minor. And what happens at the ports is that's where the greatest debauchery really is. Corinth was a was a was a, uh, was a city, it was a of just horrible debauchery, horrible sin. And there Paul was setting up churches in an area that was very wicked. So he goes to Kantria. And here we see in Corinth, it is the capital of the Roman province of Achaia, modern-day Greece, and it was a city on the Isthmus of Corinth, and it was a large city that controlled two harbors, in Cantria on the eastern side of the Isthmus and the the Leshamon on the western side. Centria was important for its harbors that allowed goods to move between Asia Minor and Italy and Achaia and Macedonia, and today Cantria is known as or it's spelled K-E-C-H-R-I-E-S, and it's situated on the coast about five miles from modern Corinth, and today it's still the same. It's a seaport, it's very important. But, you know, I think of Corinth and think of Ephesus and the places that Paul was going to, and, you know, it reminds me a lot about Baltimore. Baltimore is a seaport, and it's one of the most wicked, one of the third wicked cities in the whole country. Right, right below Chicago, I think Los Angeles is right up there, but Baltimore, there is more filth down in Baltimore on these seaports with what comes in, what co- goes down, and it's so bad, I've known a couple of police officers that actually were city cops that worked down there and they had to leave, and there's so much dirty business that goes on down there, and it was no different in Corinth, and you see what a mission field we have here in Baltimore here, I think that's, an, that's incredible. Well, we see how the Bible refers to Kancheria a couple different times. We see it in the book of Acts. And we see something interesting happens here. And I just want to kind of make this kind of clear, I believe. and I, t- you, Tell me what you think. But when we read this part here that in verse 18, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Cantria. For he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, the first question is, the question remains, it's like what Pastor Olson brought up about Sosthenes. Was there more than one Sosthenes? Was there a good one and a bad one? That's a real possibility. But when you read this, Pastor. That's true. That's a good point, yeah. He he had grown in his faith, Right? Okay, well, that's, that's a, good, a very good point. But here, one of the questions comes up about the vow. And what does it mean that whoever we're talking about here shorn their head? What does that mean? Anyone? They had shorn their head. Yes, they're making a vow. They shaved their head completely. But the question has in some commentators was it Paul or was it Aquila? Since Aquila's name is mentioned right, to this, right next to this vow, who was it? I think that's something that we need to look at. We read the verse again. We see here that and Paul, after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Kentria, for he had a vow. Well, I think if you go to verse 19... And if you move forward, you can see that the pronoun he is being referred to over and over again to Paul. And it's obvious that it's Paul is the one that was, that was maintaining this vow, and he was showing respect to where he was going to his next missionary journey. Does, what happened to Timothy? Remember what happened with Timothy when Paul had met Timothy? What have you done? Does anybody remember what had happened there that maybe had questioned some of the church Yes, he had Timothy circumcised, and I think it's very important. We looked at that for several weeks. Why was it so important, and why did it mean that this was a works-oriented gesture in order for them to carry on the ministry, or was it a matter of reverence? What had Paul tried to do with Timothy there? What was he doing? Yes. Amen. And there was nothing wrong with that. Still that was being honored back in that day. And even you can see that sometimes the apostles or the disciples, they were going into the synagogues and they were still going in on a, on a Saturday and they were worshiping on their Sabbath day before the first day of the week took over as really basically the primary day of worship for the Christian church. Many times they went in and they worshiped still on Saturday during that period of time because there were things that were changing and all. And here I believe that's what Paul was doing here. You see how Paul had sent Timothy, had circumcised him. There was some questioning about that, but he had done it because Timothy was going to be presented to these Jewish synagogues, and they were going to ask questions, and it was out of reverence. It wasn't out of some kind of pagan work or anything, but it was there to revere the Lord, to show them respect and reverence, to open up the gospel to them. And I think as Christians, I think that's wonderful. I think that, and we'll have to stop here in a minute, but I really believe as Christians that we should present ourselves as humble and looking at a way to get inside people's hearts with, our, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and not going after them with vengeance, but to go after them with love and patience. It doesn't mean we have to become like them, but I think that we should be patient with them. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. <clears throat> what we see here, have, uh, we, the scripture refers to Kencherea, and we look at Paul, and we see that there were there was there was no doubt that Paul had shorn his head, and there some commentators might believe it could have been Aquila, but I believe here that it was Paul. And basically, what we're going to be looking at next week, we have to finish here, is that this is actually attached to a Nazarite vow, and he was showing by shorn, by having his head shorn, he was showing that he was a purification, and he was getting ready to speak to a whole other sect of Jews. But as we look, as he goes towards Jerusalem, and he talks to these Jews, they wanted him to stay. And they wanted him to be a part of them, and he only could stay for a short amount of time. And I find that fascinating, because they're welcoming Paul in. And so we see the churches are being built. We'll look more at the map next week and study it during this week, read some of the scriptures here. Read, read Acts chapter 18, and look what happens ahead. We're getting ready to move into another name. We're going to see Apollos next week and who Apollos is, and I think that's fascinating. So let's, um, let's stop this morning. They ask uh, me, Pastor Olson, could you close us this morning? Thank you.